I think it's good and it's bad. I think it's good because I feel like I make very good analytical decisions. And so for investing, for example, I don't get into day trading because I can look at the numbers and be like, no, there's no more, there's no more wealth available to day traders than there is to long-term investors. They're just competing for the same wealth, but they're doing so in a way that's like much, much more likely to cause them to underperform the market than to outperform the market. And so I can like just look at that analytically and be like, no, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, a reasonable person wouldn't do day trading because it's basically just like gambling when you could just be the house and not, you know, like you, if you just buy an index fund, you're the house. If you, if you gamble, if you day trade, then you're a gambler and you're likely to lose to the house, right? What's good, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 68 of Highly Invested, where we invest in ourselves, talk about personal growth, and we ask entrepreneurs and high performers about the best investments they've made in themselves that help get them to where they are today. And before we start this episode, I need to plug my new YouTube series, Reality Check Cannabis in 2020. It's an eight-episode edutainment series on the cannabis plant and the new budding cannabis industry in general. It's a little passion project of mine and my effort to help eliminate the negative stigma created over the years by the failed war on drugs that wrongfully associated the most versatile plant on the planet with crime and violence as an excuse to arrest minorities to fill the prison system. Since the natural progression of time has led us to rediscover its medicinal benefits and created a recreational industry that started in Canada with the U.S. next in line, the best time to consider investing is now. So tune into my YouTube channel at Make More Capital or search Reality Check Cannabis in 2020 to learn about the top U.S. and Canadian cannabis companies right now so you can pick the front runner to invest in and cash in on the upcoming Green Rush. Hey everybody, so today on the show we've got the founder of the Personal Finance Club on Instagram. Since having Jeremy on for episode 20 when he showcased his money story, his personal finance hub on Instagram has grown to 144,000 followers as he consistently puts out some of the best original and digestible content for in investing beginners. So today we're going to touch on what he's learned since growing his account, how his views on real estate have changed after his first flip and remodel, and how to think more like a programmer so people can use technology more productively and apply systems to their everyday life that will create better, longer-lasting habits. So everyone, please welcome the legend Jeremy Schneider back on the show. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me back. It's great to talk to you. And the legend? Uh, I think, <laughs> not quite sure Dude, I've heard I that. I think you are a legend in the community. Whether You can't call yourself a legend, though, so it has to come from someone else. <laughs> I don't think anyone should be calling me a legend, but thank you. That's very kind. Hey, man, you're an inspiration to me at least. And um, is is that a better intro than the last one I did? I think I copied verbatim your your, your Instagram thing. So uh, last time, oh yeah, gotten better I, at that. Yeah, I know you're you're getting serious now. I feel like we talked kind of early in your uh, your podcasting journey last time, right? Yeah, exactly. That would have been so. It's glad, uh, well, good to see you're still evolving and doing your thing and. I'm trying to as well. So how was your, your Thanksgiving this year? Was it a unique experience compared to past ones? It was. I basically spent it alone most of the day. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm single and I had a bunch of friends. That, I'm in San Diego and my LA friends were supposed to drive down and we kind of do something annually. And, you know, they just, with the pandemic and everything, we just kind of were like shrugged our shoulders and we're like, well, might as well not. But I still cooked... I was like, whatever, I'm still going to cook yeah. a turkey. So I cooked an entire turkey from Costco for myself. And it was great because I spent the day cooking and I've had leftovers since then and don't have to share it with anybody. <laughs> then I did have like my friend neighbor come over and hang out. So I still had Good. some people in my bubble to hang out with. Yeah, well, hey, I'm, I'm, imagine that helps. This is a strange situation, but at least you've got food for the rest of the week. Is is there a certain day where you're not allowed to have leftovers after? You wore it's like too long. Yeah, for the turkey. Do you have any sort of cutoff rule, even if it's in the fridge? Whatever. What is it? Let's say Tuesday and it was Thursday. I mean, we're not even close. Like, I'm going to definitely finish all of them. I think you got a week at least. Yeah, I don't know. Some people yeah. try to tell me to throw stuff out after three days. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, this no. lasts much longer. Maybe yeah. if it was like sitting in the sun for three days, but I keep mine in the fridge. So we're good. Yeah, there you go. And hey, no need to waste food when it's good. If it's protein. It'll do the trick. I agree. Yeah. And it, it was good food too. I made, I like, I even like made turkey stock. I like uh, boiled the leftovers and make, made this turkey sock and they made turkey soup. It was like really good. Like this turkey soup I ended up with was like amazing. But I'm like, man, that took, it took a lot of work to get there. And I was like, I want to make that again, except that you have to like buy a turkey, roast the entire thing for hours, like carve the whole thing, boil it <laughs> for another four hours. 
Right. And well, is it, did you often bake turkeys yourself or was this just kind of a first go because you had the time? I've, I've been the one to cook the turkey at my Thanksgiving, maybe like three or four times before. So yeah. Okay. So you know how to do it. Not the first rodeo. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that. And uh, yeah, lots to be grateful for this year, despite everything. So yeah, has this year made you change anything significantly? Or how have you adapted just to how the world flipped upside down in March? I count myself lucky. I'm one of the few whose you know finances and health have, have been unaffected, negatively at least. I guess the market's been kind of weird, but it's actually still up this year. Yeah, right. And I certainly, you know, <laughs> I leave my house a whole lot less, which is kind of depressing, I guess. But um, it has caused me, you know, I kind of tell people I started a company by mistake because I was just had a lot of time on my hands and I've been working on Personal Finance Club. And I basically, last time we talked a year ago, I, it was just a side hobby, passion project, had never made a penny from it. Um, and then in October this year, I, I launched a course because I basically get the exact same question over and over and over, which is how do I invest? And so I made a course that like walked through video demos, the whole thing. Um, and started selling it and it wasn't, you know, I didn't make this account as like a cash grab or anything like that, but it just seemed like the right decision to basically have a way to fund the free content, um, have people have a little skin in the game. And so, you know, if you give it to them for free, I feel like they're less likely to get through the whole course, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so now I like have like a legitimate little business here. I, I made more in five days than, it, <laughs> than I made in three years of my first business. Oh, well, amazing. I'm happy to hear that then because, well, I think you last year, I think we published it in January. So you definitely mentioned that you were working in that or like you were going to start that. And just, I mean, the hindsight, uh, you know, is there, was there any better time to really start the personal finance club than last year based on how everything's turned out? Yeah. I don't know. I, it's funny. Cause when I started my first company, it was in 2001 ish. And, and this was that tech one though, right? Like the booking directory online. Yeah, exactly. Like a online apartment advertising website and and people would ask me the kind of a similar question which is like oh wasn't this like a good time like right in the middle of the dot-com crash or whatever and you know but you know but my answer is like i don't know like i'm trying so hard like my world is so small right now like i, I can't really see how macro macroeconomics impact it and you know obviously like the pandemic impacts us all more directly but i'd still say like are people more likely yeah. to be buying investing courses right now versus less likely? I have no idea. Yeah, I just I think the free access to to the information, at least on Instagram from the community, it's it's just quite cool to see because, like you mentioned, you didn't start this to make money or for business. It was more of a hobby, right? And same reason I did. Yeah. Um, but then it just kind of goes to show how strong this community was getting through this entire year and you know keep growing. So it's really cool. Yeah, I agree. And I guess to your point about like the the world we live in is I think people are like way more open to online learning these days, um, you yeah. know, out of necessity, I guess. And so maybe 10 years ago, an online course would have not been met with as open of arms, but now it's like, well, <laughs> not leaving the house anyway. So might as well. You can't. Yeah. And it's interesting because I do still get comments where people are like, can you recommend a, like a trusted online site where I can invest through? And I'm like, what, you mean a broker that you know, is reputable kind of thing. And it's still that barrier. I think that it, that's true. A lot of people with the online world, they still haven't dipped their toes in too far. But uh, that being said, are you still trolling any scammers? Do you, do they still bother you? <laughs> yeah. Um, they do? <laughs> yeah. So if, if you're listening and you don't know what Jordan's talking about, um, I, you know, just, just as a contact, just yeah. A, yeah, function of having a lot of followers on Instagram, I get, um, people, who DM me, send me direct messages every day who are legitimate scammers. Like there are people who live in Nigeria who are trying to steal money from me. And I, I think they, I think they message me just because my profile pops up, you know, like, I don't think, I don't think they're targeting me. I just think they're very like low effort, low thought process. And, and as evidence, because, you know, as Jordan mentioned, I basically troll them and I like mess with them. And I, re I respond to these DMs and I like pretend that I'm going along with it or pretend that I'm like, I make up these crazy stories and, and you know, the responses sometimes, sometimes they're boring. Cause like, you, 
you know, they just, they're scammers. You don't really care what you're saying. They're just trying to like copy and paste their nonsense. Right. They're just trying to respond with their next kind of line, right? To make it right. Exactly. They're just like, so you're going to send me Bitcoin or not? <laughs> but some of them, like, some of them will engage because I, I, I like say, okay, I'm interested, but I need to learn more about you. And, and then they're, they're trying to like make the sale at that point. And, and then the stuff that like, you know, I try to like use a lot of like American colloquialisms and stuff where like, that like people who like my audience who's reading it thinks it's hilarious because we all know it. Um, I'm talking about, but they don't know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I'm not trying to be mean to them, but like they're they're a criminal who's trying to steal my money. So I don't feel that I don't have that much sympathy. You know? No, it's good, right? I mean, if you you know your situation you're in, you're you can kind of toy with them, or at least just make them make their job a bit harder because what otherwise they're just going to the next person, right? And yeah, that's likely I mean, what they're going to be doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a shame is that like there's no there's basically no policing of this. You know, I don't I don't mean to pick on Nigeria. Yeah. There's people who are from Nigeria who like give me you know like grief over that. I, I say hey, I mean I love Nigeria, the country. I love people from Nigeria. I have no problem with Nigeria, but like not every person in Nigeria is good. Just like not every person in America is good. And these bad people all seem to exist there based on like the political, political, economic, whatever situation, which is like Americans don't try to go across the ocean to like police this. And then uh, their country doesn't police it for whatever reason. And so that just kind of yeah. seems to run rampant from that country. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because even my job, my day job, I work closely with uh, marketers from around the world. And there are a lot from Nigeria or Bangladesh, um, India and Pakistan and there's no way for them to, you know, make money. This is actually an easier way for them to make money than really going down the street to get a job somewhere. Yeah. Um, and if they can earn dollars, like, yeah, it's very, it's tough. You can understand why they do it, but it's, it's, it also shows you how much of the wild west, like the internet still actually is. Totally. Um, Cause that's something I didn't realize, but then also just, um, yeah, like it also helps you realize, I think too, that there's no education on how to identify what's real or what's you know what's a scammer, and I think that's that's a big gap that needs filling too. But um, kind of another podcast episode in itself. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like we we like laugh at like the like the scammer conversations I have, but like they they're doing it because people are falling for yeah. it, you know, and and they're like they're getting money, and you know, not all of them, but like I think a lot of people who are, you know, and and they they play on your you know your greed or your excitement, and and they like they tell these stories about how you can give them $500 and they turn into $5,000 and people get so excited and they, and they talk about Bitcoin and people don't really understand what that means. And so, um, right. and they lose money. True. And, you know, I, I have some sympathy for like you said that they basically, this is how they make a living. But, you know, I've, in the past I've tested that and I was, I've given, I've like explained that like, you know, the person I'm pretending to be is like, has multiple children and is like destitute and like this is their last dollar and I won't be able to feed my right. children if you take this money and like they have no sympathy they're just like give me the money like they're like you know they've I've never seen any of them have like a, a conscience and they're not all the same necessarily but like I guess I have I have limited sympathy for like them just they're just making a living because I, I also well, talked to like other Nigerians who are like nope you don't have to do that like they like they've chosen yeah. to be criminals you know Oh, great point. Just because something's easy and available because of the rise of the internet doesn't mean you should do it and there will always be bad apples. But I guess you've become a bit of a target because of, you know, you've grown a community that they're envious of. Yeah, I guess. You can't block them fast enough. Keep doing what you got to do, Jeremy, to, <laughs> to save other people, right, Hayes? Don't feel like I'm winning the war, though. They're, they're running as rampant as ever. Yeah, no, they are. And I guess, well, for anyone who wants to invest in crypto, uh, you know, go to Coinbase.com or anything like that or reach out to Jeremy and I first. <laughs> yeah. Don't 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 invest with someone who sends you an unsolicited DM no. on uh, on Instagram. Exactly, and I'm sure you know what anyone listening to this knows that. But it's uh, it's just interesting things that we get exposed to as the world opens up and yeah, gets closer. So last thing about your account going forward is just was there anything like, or here? No, I didn't want to say was there anything, but with everything that's happened this year, what are you most proud of so far with that account? I think it's making an impact. You know, it's it's silly um, and it's like. I'm like this 40 year old dude who's pretending to be an Instagram influencer. It's like, you know, it's such a, like a silly situation, but I mean, every day I get these effusively grateful messages from people who are like, you've changed my life. You know, I've never knew how money worked. I was broke. I was spending it all. I've already like opened an account. I've already started building wealth. I can see the change. I can see the future. You've like changed my life. And it's, uh, 
I can't even really. It's not silly at all, though. <laughs> I mean, like it's a silly platform. I don't know. And like I make pictures of emojis, and so like, you know, I, I guess I can't really even like wrap my head around how cool that is that that it's like touching, you know, people in that way and impacting people in that way. And so I'm, yeah. and that's why you know I'm not in this like I said as a cash grab or something. I think if I was trying to optimize my own wealth, I would start another tech company, which I'm very good at. And it could probably make a lot more money selling, <laughs> right. selling something rather than just trying to like teach. But yeah, so I'm pretty proud that it's like, it seems. And so even if like Instagram closed my account tomorrow and I lost my domain name and I closed up shop, like I feel like it's, it's like moved the needle for a lot of people. Yeah, well, I exactly. I don't think there's anything, you know, it, it's just fascinating that we can do this this easily. Um, and, you know, just helps having the knowledge to be able to share it and the confidence, but no, I like that's the best answer you could possibly give. We need more people like that that are out there more just to help give back than as opposed to try and, you know, make money everywhere. So it's great. Thanks. Making money is okay too, but Well making money yeah, it's okay too. But not that it not at the expense of other people. And um no, that that that's awesome though, because you definitely have made a difference on that note. Like I remember my best friend's girlfriend. Um she I helped her start investing, I think maybe in January of this year. But when she first reached out to message me she referenced a couple of posts you made. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, you don't know that, but how cool is that? That, like, oh. she messages me about you, and I go, oh, I know Jeremy. He was on my podcast before. And then it's just like, right? <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, cool. those so. types of um, coincidences are becoming less and less rare. You know, yeah. like, um, it's kind of wild to be, like, a, like a Z-list Instagram celebrity where, you know, every once in a while, like I know someone who knows them, I'm like, oh yeah, I heard about you from someone else. That's pretty, pretty funny. It is cool. Have you actually uh, met anyone in public that has recognized you from your page? I've been recognized a handful of times. Um, That's so cool. <laughs> the the unfair ones are whenever I go to like a, any sort of debt-free fire meetup or conference. Like I went to the, um, it was actually over a year ago now, I went to the FinCon which was like the financial influencer conference. And I went there because it was my very first year ever doing this. And I just wanted to like go to the conference to see what, you know, what everyone is doing in this space. I assumed I would be like the new kid on the block. And like almost everyone knew yeah. who I was. It was great. Not almost everyone, but like I, I definitely felt like a celebrity. Like everyone knew me. It was wild. Um, but that doesn't count. But like in normal life, yeah, like I've been in Target. Someone recognized me. I was in a movie theater. Someone recognized me. I was at a like a actually last christmas i was at a friend's house and like her friend came over and he's like do we know each other and i was like it's like i don't think so but i have one of those faces and he's like he's like oh no i follow you on instagram and like my friend was like what you know maybe some of that stuff like the friend of the friend stuff is part of the algorithm like because my friends follow me that or their friends are like recommended my right. profile even though they never talk about it or something but yeah that stuff becomes there's there's a there's more that i've forgotten but yeah every once in a while Exactly. And I think it, it just goes to show that like, you know, how humans kind of crave meaning. I do think we get a lot out of those kinds of little interactions with people saying, hey, you've helped me a lot. Or, you know, without what you mentioned here and that guidance, I wouldn't have taken that step. So yeah, I got to be grateful for that. Now, I was just curious, like, do you do you want any, any sort of fame like that? Or does it make you feel anxious when you start getting any like attention like that? I mean, I like it, you know, I like, I, <laughs> I like, think most people do though, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it, I think it depends on the person. Um, you know, if I didn't want any sort of attention, I wouldn't be like posting my face in my bank account on my Instagram every day. True. Yeah, and true. I assume there's like a level of fame where you can't go to the grocery store anymore, which it becomes like there comes, becomes a downside or whatever, but it's pretty unlikely I'll ever reach that level. So I, at the moment, like, if anyone ever sees me in public, I'm like super amped. I'm like, come say hi, let's take a selfie. Like it's definitely like a bigger deal for me than it is for them, you know? Yeah, it's so true. They might not think that, but it is just exactly. It's cool because without Instagram, you know, that they wouldn't know or that wouldn't happen. It just goes to show how far the reach can actually get. So that's uh, that's really cool. Now, how did the first home remodel turn out? I recall in the last episode, you were in the middle of that. So has that changed your opinion about owning versus renting at all? Um, yeah, so I currently live in a two bedroom condo, which I bought basically last Thanksgiving. And then I spent like three months remodeling it and then moved in, um, in February of this year, like, you know, one week I lived, I think I lived here for like a week and then like, I right, I'm right by this park and this bay and then it, um, it got shut down for the pandemic. And so it basically has been like 
by Pandemic House. Oh, that um, sounds fantastic. Sounds really nice though. Yeah. With- yeah. Well, yeah, actually it is nice because it's like a pretty nice place to, to be cooped up, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's nice. The remodel was expensive, you know, over budget and behind schedule as as I expected. And um, the place is really nice. But you were you were accounting for that though, eh? A little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I thought that I was like, think you could do the remodel in fifty thousand dollars. Like, I'll plan on sixty, and if it's less than eighty, I'll still be happy. And it was a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and like, you know, you look I at this that convenience and like the leeway. <laughs> right. You look at the spreadsheets, and you're like, where did the money go? You're like, God damn. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. I don't know. I mean, you know, you mentioned my opinion of owning versus renting, and I'm definitely way less wealthy for having bought this place. Like, there's no question. This is not a wealth building <laughs> endeavor. Um, I would for sure have had more money if I had stayed in my old apartment. But you know, gotta spend it sometime. Can't can't take it with you. Yeah, it's true. And I guess it is personal because it, it'll depend on everyone's situation. But I do hope that that realization that rent is not wasting money at all. Um, I think it's spreading, but definitely uh, good to get that word out there. Were there any big lessons that you learned from that despite the uh, the costs going up? So I had done four flips before with a buddy of mine. And so like the remodel process wasn't totally new to me, but I guess... Okay, that's right. You mentioned that. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, this was like actually my fifth remodel, but we had kind of two things. So when I signed up for this, I thought, this is going to be easy. I've done this four times before. But two things were very different. One is that my buddy was basically doing most of the project management and I was doing most of like the financial you know, stuff. Right. And then two is that with a flip, the decisions are pretty easy because the, the mentality is simply like, what's the cheapest that looks nice because someone's going to like it. And, you know, doing like really high end stuff in a flip just doesn't mathematically make any sense because people, you know, if you have, you know, there's like $3,000 cabinets or there's $10,000 cabinets, but people aren't going to pay $7,000 more for the house because you put $10,000 cabinets <laughs> in. It's like, it's either like, there's either new cabinets or there's not new cabinets. Like, it's kind of sad, but that's how the real estate market works. But then when I was doing it for myself, I had to like answer these questions. Like, do I want the $10,000 cabinets? Like, are they worth it? You know, what tile do I want? You know, when it's a flip, it's like, doesn't matter. Just put nice tile in there and someone's going to like it. But then with you, it's like, I'm going to have to sit here and look at this tile for the next 10 or 20 or however many years I live here, you know? So it was, it was definitely like a painful design process for me. Right on. And so did you intend to remodel that in order to rent it out? And just because of what happened, you're now living there or was that the plan all along? It was all along. It was, I bought it to remodel it, to live in it. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I mean, at least, uh, do you surf at all or get out into the, at least to enjoy that bay during this time? I don't really surf. I do stand up paddleboard a lot. And okay. um, it was actually really nice when the whole bay and beach was closed. Like they still let you do individual things like paddleboarding. And so I would like, I basically have the whole beach and bay myself because they closed all the parking lots and I can walk there. And so it was yeah. like, it was empty. It was amazing. Yeah, so I'm I'm on, on the water that way a lot, and I play beach volleyball too, which has kind of been I haven't played as much in the in the pandemic, but it, you, they have let us play lately. That's nice. Well, it, it it is another sport where you're not you're close enough, but not too close to other people, and yeah, pretty yeah. small groups like outdoors. I feel like the risk of transmission is lower, but like yeah. if I knew I was playing with someone who had COVID, I definitely wouldn't show up. So can't, <laughs> it's not that low. Yeah, good point. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, let's dive into the main thing I wanted to bring you on to, to chat with. So um, now I wanted to ask, have you, have you really thought about how like your background in programming has affected how you make decisions or, or have created any of your own habits? That's such an interesting question, Jordan. I've never been asked this on a podcast before. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it kind of just it kind of like drives everything in my life because I'm very analytical. And so when you're programming, you have to like write these programs in a language that a computer can understand and computers don't understand ambiguity or nuance. It's like black and white. It's like left or right. Yes or no. It's like everything has to be very clear, um, like logical. Right. Concise. And, uh, you know, as simple as possible. Right. Right. And, and there's no like emotion and there's no, and you know, there's no gray area. It's all, black or white, yes or no, ones or zeros, right? That's what binary is. And so like, I see a lot of the world in that way. And so I think it's good and it's bad. I think it's good because I feel like I make very good analytical decisions. And so for investing, for example, 
I don't get into day trading because I can look at the numbers and be like, no, there's no more, there's no more wealth available to day traders than there is to long-term investors. They're just competing for the same wealth, but they're doing so in a way that's like much, much more likely to cause them to underperform the market than to outperform the market. And so I can like just look at that analytically and be like, no, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, a reasonable person wouldn't do day trading because it's basically just like gambling when you could just be the house and not, you know, like you, if you just buy an index fund, you're the house. If you, if you gamble, if you day trade, then you're a gambler and you're likely to lose to the house. Right. Right. Um, um, so I think like it, it, it influences my decisions that way. But the downside is that like, I maybe have sometimes a harder, you know, there's before the podcast, we're talking a little bit about this, like emotional mentality portion of finance where people, you know, feel like they should spend their money because they, they, connect money with happiness or they, um, you know, they, they want to YOLO and live it up or they, you know, want to be part of a multi-level marketing scheme because they think they're going to hit it big or like all this stuff that like, doesn't, it doesn't really speak to me. Cause I was like, I was like, that doesn't follow logic guys. Like that's yeah. not logical. Right. Um, and so like, I have to like remind myself, there's like a lot of like human emotional mentality stuff that's like baked into finance in every way that, that I need to like do a better job connecting with. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fair point because I think I didn't even realize how emotionally tied I are emotionally connected I was to money, um, and it's still something I am. But I, it's not. It's also just something I didn't really realize that uh, you can be, become unemotionally attached to, or at least you know, get rid of the emotions and think logically with. Until I've started learning all this, um, and then just for me to to invest, but then also build the Instagram account on the side. It's like how do I? You know, you need to implement systems and these different things. And so, yeah, using Instagram to grow your account, do you think that your background has made you um, better at identifying trends and being able to grow the account? Or do you think that just kind of came with your content and the, like the value you're delivering to people? Yeah, I definitely think my background has a huge impact. And so, you know, in terms of Instagram success, I, I'm somewhere in the middle. Like there are, you know, there was some world record egg that had like 50 million followers in three days or something like that. Um, and so I'm not, wasn't that virally successful, but for sure there's a lot of people who I look at who have been doing this for many years and have many thousands of posts and have, you know, a fraction of my followers. Um, and I, so, you know, is it being a programmer? Like you kind of talked about the programmer mentality. I'd say the mentality that has helped me grow my Instagram account is my entrepreneur mentality. Um, and so when I was growing my business, um, I've spent 10 years basically learning how to grow a business. And I think I learned a lot of lessons along the way. And then when I started my Instagram on day one, I basically took that 10 years of experience and just started implementing it. You know, one, one like lesson that I think is really valuable to me that I have executed here is um, what I call lead metrics and lag metrics. And that's, it's not, not something I made up. This is like something that I've like learned along the way. Um, okay, nice. And what, yeah, what are those if you can elaborate? So a lag metric is the thing that someone wants, that's very easy to measure. So for example, in Instagram world, one example might be how many followers you have. And so people look at me and they're like, you have a lot of followers, that's great. Like, how do you get more followers? And and the thing about lag metrics is like, it's kind of like the end goal, they're very easy to measure. Like I can, I'm glancing at my screen right now and I can see exactly how many followers I have. Can't get any more easy to measure than that. Um, it's right. like very obvious, but it's very hard to, inf it's like hard to impact. It's hard to influence. And so I can't just look at my followers or be like, oh, like tense all my muscles, more followers. It doesn't do anything. Right. And so, I th so is that like, it's just something you can't control? It's not that you can't control. It's that you can't directly control it. Like I can't, okay. I can't go like, just get more followers. Like, what does that mean to get more followers? Like I could maybe like right. go door to door and knock on people's doors and say, Hey, will you please follow me? That's like kind of direct. But even that isn't really just getting more followers. It's what the act is like knocking on doors at that point. And not everyone will follow me. True. And so, and another, another obvious lag metric would be revenue. Like how much money you make. That's very easy to track. You look in your bank account or look on your, on your accounting software and see how much money you make, but it's very hard to directly influence like, Oh, I'll make more money. Like I'm picturing like tensing your muscles. And so to like grow to, <clears throat> to grow a business or to grow an Instagram or to like improve your lag metrics, you have to identify the lead metrics. And so lead metric is something that is predictive of the lag metric. Lag metric. So when the okay. lead metric improves, then the lag metric is likely to improve. It's also influenceable. So I can do something directly to improve the lead metric and 
I think there's something else. I should write these down. There's some other f- feature of lead metrics. So Okay, no, so good. Um, and what would be an example of the lead metric? So one of my favorite examples is, is um, fitness. So like, let's say you're an overweight person and you want to lose weight. The, the classical lag metric would be your weight. So you go on a scale, you look down, super easy to measure. It's obvious. It's the thing you want to change. And I think a lot of people who literally are trying to lose weight get so fixated on the lag metric, they get in the scale every single day and they're like, oh, and like, that's like the only thing they're tracking. Whereas if you wanted to improve it, you have to find something that's influenceable and predictive. So I would mm-hmm. say, hey, how about how many miles you walk or run per day? Like if, what if you wrote down that number on your calendar? So instead of writing your weight on your calendar every day, you wrote down, I, I walked two miles, I ran three miles, I walked two miles, I ran four miles, whatever it is every right. single day. And you, and you try to improve that number. Is that influenceable? De- definitely. Because you can just go out your door and like immediately start executing on it. And is it predictive? Definitely. Like if you run 10 miles a day or you run zero miles a day, is that going to have an inf- impact on your weight? A hundred percent it will. So right. It's like the process, not the outcome. Totally. And, and people get so fixated on the outcome that they, they miss the things that can actually make a change that they're not putting their effort and their, their, like their, their work into something that can actually change. Um, And so another lead metric for fitness might be like calories. So like if someone, for example, for 90 days focused on how many calories they eat and how many miles they run in 90 days, their weight would for sure change. But if they just, if they just weigh themselves every day and and are mad about it, like nothing's going to change. Wow. That's brilliant, Jeremy. Thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, how do you translate that to Instagram? Well, yeah. So in Instagram world, yeah, like I wanted more followers and, and for like the first month or two, I was like, Oh, more followers. And I was shaking my fist in the air. And I was like, all right, Jeremy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, come on, follow people. Why aren't you following me? And I was like, okay, okay. What are like, follow your advice, Jeremy. And, and lead metrics are often like much more difficult to identify. So like, Mm -hmm. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but can you think of any lead metrics for getting more followers as the lad lag metric? Um, just showing like posting once a day would more or less be like an example of focusing on the process as opposed to the outcome. That's a great one. That's a great one. So how many times you post? And that was in fact, one of the lead metrics I chose because if you post once a week or once a day, uh, or seven, you know, once a week or seven times a week, I should say that's going to have a massive impact just because like we know how how we know how human behavior works. We know how Instagram's algorithm works if you post more often. And so like I, I chose three, which was like how many posts I make per day, how many stories I post per day, because I want stories there too. And then how many comments I make on other people's posts per day. Because when you comment on someone else's post, it creates a link back to your account, right? Like if they can click on your account and like, how often do you see someone comment? And then you click on their account name to see what this person's all about. And so I was like, if I can, and I got this idea from someone else too. I didn't make up this idea, but I decided to implement it as a lead metric. Um, so I said, okay, I was posting on other people's posts like zero times a day. I'm going to try to do it 20 times a day, like 20 comments a day on 20 different accounts. If you do that for a week, that's 140 different wow. links yeah. back to your profile, right? And I wasn't spamming. I wasn't being like, follow me, like emoji or whatever. I was like trying to be, you know, like none of this is like an excuse to right. not put out quality content or anything, but I would try to really hard participate in the community and go out there and put a thoughtful, I'd answer a question. I'd like, I'd make some insight. I'd make a joke, whatever. It's like something. Well, I've seen that before. And then like, you know, it gets pinged at the top and they've got so many comments because you've said something like clever, good timing, like that kind of thing. Exactly. And so, yeah, even some big accounts, I would set up alert notifications on or post alerts. So like the moment they post, I would be on there within 60 seconds, try to write a really, and a lot of people have the same clever idea, you know, like there's like an obvious joke in there mm-hmm. or something. And so I'd just be the first one to make the <laughs> obvious joke and then get a million likes. And then everyone who looks at this popular account, the top most liked comment is my comment. And so then all the people that see that are clicking through and potentially following me. Right. Um, right. And that only happened because I was saying, okay, I need to measure this and improve how many times a day I'm doing that to actually improve the thing I want, which is more followers. Wow. Yeah. That's brilliant, Jeremy. Thank you. Cause I, I've, I've heard of that too. And I just didn't realize how it kind of, it can bring people back to your account. And so thank you for connecting those dots. Yeah, no problem. That's great. Um, 
Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing, right? I, I, I'd completely forgotten about your entrepreneur background too, writing these questions out. I'm like, okay, you know, because I'm just realizing that I, I'm developing my ability to think better analytically and to put the emotions away and just kind of think logically. Um, it's just maybe something that I didn't always do beforehand. So do you mind just uh, sharing a little bit on how like the logic programming works? And I, I might be wrong if I'm saying like, I think the basics are like, when you're telling a computer command, it's like, if this, then that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's literally, you know, I know a lot about computers and it's all ones and zeros. And when I, when they say it's all ones and zeros, the, the way that works inside of a computer is there's like high electrical signals and low electrical signals. And then through that and combinations of like combining those signals, they can like turn into these like logic gates, which is saying, yeah, if then, then that. And, and, and there's like, you know, it either has to go one way or the other. There's no ambiguity. And so um, that's that's what all of programming is. And, you know, you, you like can do loops, like how many times you go through something, and if then, then that. And like your phone, your computer, your internet, your YouTube TV, like everything is, an, is like just layers of the same, of more complexity built onto that, those very low level truths of programming. That's what all of programming oh, is. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> So interesting. Well, and, and then is there any other, like, if the, if this, then that, or like, are there any other things of that? Cause it like, to me, that's obviously someone who's not computer related. That's cause and effect comparatively. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, so would you say there, would you say those are kind of like the same, like synonyms, or would you say that they're a bit different? And like, I, I guess basically just like you have the floor. Is there anyone, or is there anything people, you know, should know about, how computers think and just how it can help humans make better decisions and habits. I'm like, I'm laughing. Cause it's like, you know, there's, there's computer science professors who like devote their careers to like, trying to like answer that question. I'm like, all right, what, you know, how do, com- <laughs> how do computers work? And what does that mean for society? Um, it's a hard question to answer, but um, I, I think to your point about mentality is I think that my natural way my brain works is that it's a very analytical if then then that black and white kind of thing and i think that you know it, it has pros and cons for me but i think most people do not think that way they they just want to you know think from their heart and and just see things the way they want to see them and not really believe like that everything is black and white and um and for sure everything's not black and white but i think that there's yeah. benefit to to being analytical a lot of times and just looking at the number without looking at the numbers without emotion and, well, that's what I'm developing. So that's why I'm seeing like, I know there's certainly some good things you can take out of it, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that like the, the marriage of those two things, which is like economics and like psychology are really interesting. And there's like these like psychological economic things like um, that a lot of people fall victim to. And so like one of them is what's called like the sunk cost fallacy. And so a emotional person would go to a all-you-can-eat buffet, for example, and spend 30 bucks to eat all you can eat. And then they eat 20 bucks of food and they're worth of food and they're full. And they're like, oh, well, I got to get my money's worth. I have to eat at least 10 more bucks or else I've wasted money. Ouch. But Right. But the reality is, is once you've paid the bill, it's too late. You know, you can't, you know, eating more food to like get your money's worth is no longer logical at that point because the, the cost is a sunk cost. And so while humans are more likely to overeat a buffet to like, I'm making air quotes now, like get their money's worth. Once you've decided to eat there and you pay the bill, it's too late. At that point, going forward, you should eat exactly as much as you want to eat to like maximize your happiness and health or whatever going forward. And be able um, to and, get up and walk away from the table when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so so I think people like fall into this like these fallacies where they're like, like, oh, I like, you know, and where it does it's not logical because like, nope, that money's already spent. So you just, you know, ignore that and going forward you decide what you want to do. I'm guilty um, of that too though. I'll admit like at a buffet, I'm like, well I gotta eat three times as much. <laughs> oh yeah, we all are. Yeah. There's another one where um, people like naturally value the thing they have more than the thing they don't have. Um, and so they, they did these studies where they like have a bunch of children and they, they give each of them two different baseball cards. And then they basically ask the kids if they would want to trade cards and they say no. And then they like, they, you know, two different kids switch the cards, whatever. And then they ask if they want to trade. And it's like, no matter which kid has which card, they never want to trade. Even if like, you know, they both value theirs more than the other, just because that's the one they have. And, and I think that's like with baseball cards, it's like, whatever, they're just kids. But I think 
I see that a ton in real life with debt where people right. have a lot of debt and they have become comfortable in that situation. And they, and they think this is a better situation than, than not having debt. And so like a, an example would be they have you know $8,000 in debt and $10,000 in cash. And I say, why don't you pay off your debt? And they say, oh, I don't want to have only $2,000 in cash. And I said, what if I hacked into your account right now and paid off your debt for you? And then tomorrow you woke up and you would have zero debt and $2,000 in cash. Would you then go to the bank and borrow $8,000 to get back into your current situation? And when I forced them to think about it in the opposite world, they say, of course, I wouldn't do that. You'd have to be a sociopath to like go to the bank and borrow $8,000 for no reason just to make payments to the bank. And, and they can see from that perspective, like, oh, it's way better to have no debt. But because they're just more comfortable with their current situation, it's not logical when they look at it like equally from both. Like if you, ch- if you could choose one or other world, which world would you live in? They would choose the no debt right. version. But because that's their baseball card, that's the situation they have, they value it too highly and they don't pay off the debt, which actually is detrimental. Wow. That's, yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. You're almost like um, reverse engineering the, I guess, the perspective they have, right? Yeah. And I think like asking them the question backwards is a really good way to like force them to like undo that like wrong bit of emotional programming and say, okay, like what if you were in this situation, what would would you do? And they're like, okay, I get it. It's not better being in my situation. No. Yeah. And I mean, hey, it takes a type of courage to, to, you know, make that change, but um, and I, you, you mentioned too, how it's like with, with younger kids, they prefer what they have over what they don't have. And then I think once you become a teenager, it's the opposite. It's like, they want what other people have and they don't want uh, what they have. That's true. Maybe there's like a grass is greener fallacy too, though. Although, yeah, I guess I don't know how that would like present itself in economics. I don't know. People yeah. are like, Oh, keep paying off debt and unpaying it off or something, <laughs> borrowing and paying it off. I guess it oh, just, I liked having the debt. Yeah. Well, it's very personal, right? It, well, you know what, it, what's strange too, is I, I, I wonder because I, I don't have debt. Do you have a lot of debt? I uh, I have a credit card that I pay off in full every month. And other than that, right. I don't have a penny of debt. I live in a paid for uh, condo that I own. Yeah, I bought this place in cash. Because I wonder if, if, you know, part of the just psychology of, of, you know, owning a home, but like, you know, owning a mortgage really is just part of like, well, you know, in order to have this home, I need to have this debt. And, you know, it's become normalized. Not that it should be, but maybe that's also adds to it. Yeah, debt to buy, awesome. you know, I, I kind of excuse debt to buy a home because, you know, debt for things like well, consumer debt, right? cars it- or credit cards mm-hmm. or um, even student loans, like there's no physical asset that can be sold that appreciates in value. With a home, you can sell it and clear the debt almost True. always. Um, with a car, you could sell it and get some of your money back, but not all of it. And then with all the other debt, there's like, there's nothing um, backing it up. and And so like, it's, it's worse, right? Because you spend the money, then you have to work just to pay it back. And you, don't, you don't even have anything to show for it. Whereas with a home, at least it appreciates, you know? Yeah, that's true. And I've learned that a lot of people, like, may not be an asset, but it's true. Worst comes to worst. If you need to sell it, there's likely going to be a buyer and you'll be able to get the money back in a bit more. So good to be more lenient there. Now, just if you can think into your, uh, like, as an example, Jeremy, in your own life, what are some habits that you've kind of set in stone? Like, I mean, obviously paying yourself first, for example. Um, you know, if you get paid on this day, then you've automatically sent this money into there. Do you have any other habits like that, that you've set up that, you know, just kind of takes the stress out of your life and has helped you, you know, retire at 36 and get to where you are now? Um, I mean, the two habits, the two rules I talk about all the time are to spend less than you make, invest here and live below your means. That's rule number one. And rule number two is invest early and often. And the way, you know, the way you execute that for me, I happen to be someone who budgets. So I, um, I use a program called YNAB, you need a budget. And every month I like know exactly how much money I spend and I have it all in categories and the whole thing. Um, and, and I hate the term budget because, and honestly, I think some people budget wrong. Um, I think, I think a lot of people budget means they like get out a spreadsheet and they like predict how much money they're going to spend or like set a limit. (laughs) And then if they like, don't if they don't like achieve that like arbitrary limit, then they have failed at budgeting and like they're a failure and they stop doing it or whatever. But it's to me, it's not about that at all. It's just about visibility. And so when I spend money, I do have categories and I, and I assign dollar amounts that are available in that category. But if I go over in a category, all that means is I have to decide which category it's coming from. And so for example, if I go over in my restaurants right. category, 
that's okay, but I have to decide, is it going to come out of my rent category, which is not okay, or is it going to come out of my vacation category, which is okay, but it's just a decision that I have to be okay with. Like I'm like, okay, I would rather eat out today than go on vacation in two months. And that's that's fine, but I cannot make yeah. the decision I'd rather go out today than pay my rent next month. That's like not okay. And no. and so it's not about like, oh, I failed. I spent too much in budget, rents or restaurants. It's just like about, okay, now I'm making informed, purposeful decisions about where my money is going instead of just like showing up next month and be like, oh crap, I spent too much. I don't have enough money for rent. No, yeah. I, that's a great point because I, I, I do pay myself first and I still have a budget. But the thing is, is just because I've been doing this for a couple of years now, or at least just myself, I've always paid attention. I've always been money conscious. So as long as I've paid myself first, I, everything I have left is what I can spend. But like you say, if, if you go over in one category, you just have to know, okay, well, you know, do I not go get sushi two more times this month or do I not get to spend this on entertainment? It's just like, if this, then what do you miss out on, right? Right, exactly. I guess maybe that's kind of like the programmer logic gate thing <laughs> where you're like, you know, you, you know, it's one or the other. Like there's only dollars... It's it's black and white. There's only so many dollars in the account. So if you if you go out to eat, that means you will have to wait one more month to go on vacation, and that's okay. You just have to you have to be the one driving those decisions, not like letting them happen to you. Right. Gosh, emotions are such they get in the way. <laughs> yeah, they do. Damn those. Yeah. No, but I like that as well because a budget is really tough, and it's it's time consuming where it really doesn't need to be. So if you can, you know, at least yeah, have that make that part of the thought process quite analytical and. I think that can help a lot. Any any other examples? Um, so for people who don't like to budget, and I'm a yeah. I'm like a realist in that, even people listening to this podcast, maybe I'd say in the real world, like not people who listen to like personal finance podcasts, but in the real world, probably like ninety five percent plus of people will never budget. Maybe it's ninety nine percent. It's like a very big number. Um, even listening to this podcast, hmm. I suspect probably eighty percent of people aren't like honestly budgeting every month, and so. Right. For that, it's kind of what you implied earlier, which is I like to set up automatic transfers. And so when I get yeah. paid, I'll say, okay, 500 bucks goes right to my savings account for like long-term stuff, like wedding, travel, whatever. 500 bucks a month goes to investing for like really long-term stuff, like, you know, retirement. So it's going to build wealth. And so if my like savings account's in good shape and my, and I guess if I had debt, I would focus on that before the other two, I'd put it to, towards debt first but as long but but once those two things are like covered like savings and long-term investing basically like my future is in good shape and then i can spend like kind of indiscriminately not indiscriminately i can spend freely from what, whatever's left because i have like purposefully like assigned that money and, and it basically is really a budget it's just saying okay now you really have three categories you've got spend this month spend later and spend uh you know and invest for for retirement. And then if you run out of money in your spend this month account, then it's like, which one are you choosing to rob? And that's basically kind of that same, um, that same mentality of, of budgeting. Right. And I mean, you can turn to debt at that point. You shouldn't, but that, I think that's what a lot of people will do um, with that lack of self-control. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. It's just interesting because it's like you mentioned, I think just uh, the difference between focusing on the outcome and focusing on the process. I've I've just added a lot of things like that where I have rules of just posting IG once a day, TikTok once a day. Um, you know, it's just I've realized how much easier it makes it by allocating those time periods and just you know making yeah making more of a system out of it than just trying to randomly remember to do it. So, how's your uh, TikTok going? It's good actually. Believe it or not, I just had like Anchor the the podcast that I host my podcast on. They just reached out to me and asked if I wanted to make two videos on TikTok for them. And they're offering to pay me. For them. I'm like, really? Oh, what? No one's. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? And I guess that's what happened. So I've grown the TikTok account to about 12,000 followers on there. Nice. But I guess, you know, this is just new to me. So I was just like, wow. You know, I'm glad I just started all this stuff and tried because now I get I've never gotten. I've, I haven't had any sort of corporate. No. Opportunities like that. No. Like I've, I have 10 times that followers and I haven't had and offer me for content creation that's amazing oh, yeah thank you well i wonder if it's because instagram is just becoming like not that it's too saturated and at least you are able to make your course or like sell your course through the app but um i do wonder if it's just because a lot of companies are trying to like forward think or like you know a lot of them are already on instagram but maybe not tiktok so i see that's where probably the gap is yeah tiktok uh, i mean i every day that goes by 
unless you want to start dancing right like yeah i know i like it's it's a it's, it's interesting it definitely feels like this you mentioned the internet was the wild west like i feel like tiktok is definitely like it's this, the new like, wild west yeah right like this uncharted uh like green fields kind of kind of place right now and they seem to be like more than maybe instagram like giving to content creators in terms of like rising up in the algorithm like i've heard of people who who post consistently like see tons and tons of traffic that they don't see on instagram but maybe it's because it's more saturated or instagram's trying more hard to monetize or who knows what the difference is yeah it's a good point no i, th- I think it is uh with with tiktok two two posts a day they they do show it it almost just seems like it gets more traction that way. Yeah. Um, I don't always do two a day. I try to do one, but I've had more success there on Instagram. But that's the thing. I mean, I you start so many things. At some point, you got to restrain it and see what's what's working. But so far, yeah, I've, I've been lucky with that. So um, hopefully more brand deals come like that. But I'm super excited to be, yeah, working with Anchor now and um, having that opportunity. I mean, and that's, I mean, yeah, that's cool. I mean, like, not only is it money, but like, I feel like, yeah, it's like credibility and, and it's like, you'll probably pick up some some visibility from being on their site and who knows like what kind of future partnerships that that would lead to that's so that's awesome yeah it's just it's more or less like the benefit of starting even if you don't know which direction you're heading in right just because you don't know what's going to happen so um yeah it's super cool and then so last thing this is more of just related to computers or tech but like did you have like like your vision for your company you started it and i'm sure a lot of people were like jeremy you know what does this do i'm not exactly sure so, like, are there any things that you learned early on in your career that you believe to be true and that it's just kind of taken some time for it to become, you know, apparent for everyone to realize? Huh. I don't, I don't think I'm, like, as, not, as much of a visionary as that. I, I think the thing that I've learned from my entrepreneur background is really that the things that we think are true about the world and the market aren't always true. Um, and so I think, like, a mistake that I definitely made that I think a lot of entrepreneurs make is like you have an idea and you expect it to work and then it doesn't work and it's because you don't really understand the market as well as you think you do and so for example like the first product I made at my last company I thought it was a great product I thought it was the right product I thought people were going to love it it like everyone needed it like I knew that they needed it but then it didn't really do very well because they didn't like it and I didn't do a good enough job basically like testing the market and understanding why they don't like it and why they didn't want it. Um, and, right. and even like, this is, this isn't just true for like, you know, middling entrepreneur, Jeremy, like even Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook in his early days did a really bad job of this. Like he launched stuff that like fell flat and people hated because he didn't do a good job. You know, I, I feel like this is a kind of a dated example now, but Facebook used to just be basically profile pages and you would search and you'd jump around between profile pages. And then at one point he like released the newsfeed, which is now like what we think of Facebook as exclusively, which is just like this feed of, of all this stuff. And the newsfeed right. in early days was just like, you know, Jordan updated his profile picture. Jeremy changed his about, like, it's just like, it's just like the updates to our, to our profiles. <laughs> yeah. Jordan is right. bored at home. But I, I don't think there's, I literally don't think there's even statuses yet. I think before you could even post, it was just like, the the modifications you had made to your to your profile and so he launched this and then like the outward was like crazy people hated it because they felt that they were being like exposed in a way that they didn't and you know mark obviously had some vision he's like no this is the future like we need a way to like see in one stream like what's happening or whatever uh, but people were like i don't want people to know that i just like changed my relationship status or i don't want people to know that i just like um like right. added you know, a different word to my description and like what that, you know, cause it, like having it in the description is different to a person than making it clear that it had just changed or something. And so like, he didn't, he didn't do a good job of recognizing that. So he basically had a backpedal and yeah, like yeah. change a whole bunch of stuff. And so, yeah, I, I guess I don't, I don't really consider myself this like great visionary that knows what's going to come in the future, but I do try to look at trends and jump on things and, um, like, you know, like TikTok, for example, yeah. and then and, and like measure what works well in the market and, and like listen to that market feedback more than assuming I know it's right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, studying the market is probably the, the yeah, the best way to figure out what's coming just because, I mean, I was obviously born in the 90s, so I was very young when technology came about, but almost makes you wonder, like, how did parents not 
see the the internet of the future, you know, the way it is now, and because so many didn't, right? People thought it would be a fad or a trend. So yeah, um, I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, like my lifetime, it's weird. I was born basically. I was born in 1980, and there were PCs. Kind of, I remember when we, I was a kid, we got our first PC. And then the internet was basically invented when I was like in my teens. And then like mobile was basically invented in you know my twenties really. And yeah, it's just like this massive change. And it's just like exponential growth yeah. too. Seems, seems obvious looking backwards, but at the, you know, the time, you know, just people kind of like know what exists now, you know? Exactly. Well, you're not looking at it. You've got other things going on. You don't have phones to distract you. Right. It's, yeah. it's fascinating, but I, you know, with this podcast and with, just want to try to prepare people for where we're heading. Right. So, um, that's awesome. So last question then, Jeremy, is there anything that you learned recently that you think is really important and worth sharing? Jordan, this is something I've learned very recently, which is basically similar to what we just talked about is understanding the market. So I just launched my first ever sale where I, um, sell stuff on Instagram literally yesterday morning, which was uh, cyber Monday, as they call it the day where people do a lot of online shopping. And I like spent, you know, not a ton of time, but like a week or two building this like online uh, merchandise shop where people can buy t-shirts and I also sell my online course. And I thought that I have a bunch of followers and people see my logo and they see me in pictures wearing the t-shirt and that they would want to buy the t-shirt. And so, and in the course I've sold over 2000 copies of my course. Wow. Congrats. And so I was awesome. Thanks. And so I launched this t-shirt shop. I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to sell a bunch of t-shirts. It's going to be great. Like I, I, the, the margins aren't very good. So I wasn't really expecting to make a lot of money, but I thought I'd make a lot of sales. Mm-hmm. And to date, I've sold, I think like three t-shirts. Um, really? And I, one of them was to my mom. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think that like, you know, it just goes to show like how much you don't really know the market until you like really test it. Um, yeah, because, sorry, I don't mean to laugh either. It's just like it's interesting because you'd think you'd no, it's, more. no, it's I don't, don't take no offense to that yeah. at all because like yeah, I, I'm laughing at myself because it's like, you know, I thought that people liked the logo and they don't like people just want to learn about investing, you know, <laughs> and they want to like build wealth for themselves and so they like they like the course because they see it as a way to build wealth and, and you know honestly like, I should probably be doing more you know surveys and be like why don't you want a t-shirt why do you want a course to really understand why they like one and not the other and right, right. and then predictively think what will they like what would be like you know would you like this kind of thing um but yeah i, I basically learned that people people do not want to buy my t-shirts interesting you've got some you've got a way to go in the merch game but at least the courses are on point in selling that's good yeah um, which i'm much i would much rather be selling courses than t-shirts because t-shirts i basically make no money on because i have like a big cost on those you know Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll take a look. I'll, I'll get a t-shirt as well. I want to support. Well, so. I'll send you one for free. Don't buy one. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad I said something. <laughs> nice. I, I seriously was going to, but um, there's one other t-shirt that I've bought so far. Do you know um, the real Raul Rai or the layman investor? Yeah. I bought his t-shirt because I love his content. So it's like, you I did. Buy, you know, yeah. And I don't buy much, but if I'm going to buy something, I want to support someone that I respect. So like you or Raul or something like that. So that's where that's hilarious. I think, I think he was like my very first Instagram friend. I feel like we started our Instagram accounts like within days of each other. Right. And like, we both had like three posts and we were like talking to each other. Like, how do you grow? And it's really, like, he's like, he's actually been pretty successful. And so I think it's really funny that we like both. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Cause TikTok, yeah. He's gotten over a million followers on his personal account, like his acting one. So it's just. Oh, really on TikTok? He does. He, oh, well, he was crazy. pretty. He was posting 30 pieces of content a day. Oh my God. Um, but as an actor, he he didn't have a day job, right? So he would, I think each night kind of write out his uh, his plan for the next day, which would include that much. Crazy, but. Wow. Uh, That's hilarious. Thank- a million <laughs> yeah. followers. That's insane. It's funny because like his, his like Instagram account is like, okay. Um, but like his videos are really good. And I remember the first time he posted a video, I didn't even know what he looked like because his, his early stuff was just like, um, infographics or whatever or tweets or whatever um and then he posted a video i was like i was like is that you i was like did you actually make that he's like he's like yeah i was like whoa like that's really good so it's crazy it makes sense that like yeah i feel like his his persona is like perfect for for tiktok and mine is like not you just got to get on there have you created an account and started yet 
I mean, I have I I have like my username, but I have not like posted any content yet. I'll go follow you. I think I might go to YouTube next. I like I know maybe it's like old, but I feel like YouTube is like a more legitimate platform still, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but maybe harder to grow quickly. I don't know. We'll I, see. I th- I'm hoping in 2021 to like move on to a new platform. Good. Well, I think at the end of the day, content is king, right? So as long as what you're delivering is is good and it's searchable, then I, I think uh, YouTube's a good plan. That's what I'm doing because I think long term as well. The views are only going to go up if people search for what you're putting out there. So, anyway. totally. And yeah, YouTube is like, yeah, it's like a legit, legit platform. People can make like, you know, tons of money by having a successful YouTube channel. Yeah. And I, the amount of money you can make just creating content, right? Yeah. <laughs> what a good job if you can get away with it. It is. What a time to be alive, Jeremy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And then just where can people find more about your course? Is that all through the Instagram page? Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah. If you want to, find my course you can google personal finance club or go to instagram and search my username personal finance club and it's uh there's a link right there in my profile and on my website and that is it for episode 68 everybody if you want to learn how to start investing and you don't want to pay a lot of money for an expensive course go to personal finance club check out jeremy's courses they're under a hundred dollars And if you followed his content, you know how much value he provides and you're going to get that inside the course. So make sure you go check that out. If that's what you've been waiting for, that's a quality course that can help you get started. I guarantee you that. So you can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and at anchor.fm slash highly invested. If you got some value out of this episode, everyone, please share it with any friends or like-minded individuals. And if you really got value out of it, please make sure you go leave a review or a rating. I love to know who's listening and it helps my podcast get noticed by others. So I would really appreciate it. That being said, this is your host, Jordan Hiley, signing off. Stay highly invested in yourselves, everybody. Till next time.